When it comes to going on first dates, Dan can't leave the house without taking Tums. And then there's Ellie, who takes a shower before a date to keep his hair intact. And finally, Paul in Los Angeles. And a day for him means cleaning his sports car and picking her up in style. I asked a few men to record some audio diaries while they prepared for a first date. For the most part, all of them wanted to look presentable. Even if it's only a few minutes or a minute of trimming my beard, I want to feel put together and I want to feel, like, sexy. And I shaved last night, and that was a strategic decision. I kind of go for a George Clooney type of look. Very clean cut, very manicured. I'm looking in the mirror, and I see two pimples. And I have to not pop them because I'm going to attract more attention to them. When people go outside with you for the first time, or whatever the case may be, they, they say to themselves, hmm, I wonder how we look together. Like, you, you can't tell me that you don't think about that. Everybody thinks about that. That last guy is Sean. Sean and I ran into each other while shopping at Uniqlo. And I asked him how he shops for a first date. I'm a solid guy. I'm like 5'11", 225, maybe 230, depending on the day of the week. I know if we're going out, I'm going to look presentable. I love chinos. Chinos are year-round for me. Um, I might wear a nice pair of comfortable, you know, Steve Madden type of uh, transitional shoes. You have to almost say, hey, I'm going to wear something that's going to be comfortable, but not too comfortable, but it looks nice. And, you know, when we're out, they're saying, hey, you guys look nice together. When I get ready for a first date, I think, I want her to tell her friends the next day that meeting me was like when George Clooney meets Jennifer Lopez in the bar and out of sight. He looks so good. Can I buy a drink? Yeah, I'd love one. Sit down. And that's it. That's what this is all about. What do we want our date to go tell their friends the next day about us? What would that be? Tomorrow when she's talking to her friends, I want her to say, wow, Ellie's very interesting. He's funny. Funny and funny and smart. And that I was good looking. He's charming. And I would also want her to tell her friends that not all Persian guys are bad. And, you know, I was one of the good ones. He's the real deal. But what about our blind spots? What about those areas we rarely hear about? Because... She would never, ever say that Mark showed up and he looked weird or smelled bad or had an awkward sense of humor. Or would she? Would a bad case scenario, would, would that be if she goes to her friends the next day and says he should have had somebody look at his outfit? Nah, nah, nah. And it, and it may seem cocky what I'm saying, but I, I highly doubt it because I haven't had that happen thus far. I'm Mark Pagan, and you're listening to Other Men Need Breath Mints. I've been loving you, baby, for a mighty long time. I'm not tired yet. I've been loving you, girl, All right, folks, season two of the show is in the works. In the meantime, we've got three tremendous stories for you from our live shows. This month, we're sitting across the table from our friends and hearing the blind spots from first dates. Our first story comes from one of the funniest people working today. Aparna Nancherla is a comedian. She's delightful. And we were really, really fortunate to have her for our live show at Le Poisson Rouge in September of 2017. Here she is. 
So I should say, I recently um, celebrated the one-year anniversary of being in a relationship. Uh, oh, wow, okay. Sometimes people are like, that's not that impressive. Um, I like that you guys are a supportive room. Uh, but I'm not... Like, I'm not cocky about it. I am, I was single for a long time before that, and I am what you would call a rescue, you know? Like, my boyfriend did find me at a kill shelter, so it was really only a matter of time. Uh, but it's fine, because he's always like, you know, she saved me, so it's a good, it's a good agreement that we have between each other. But before that, I, I dated for a long time online. Like, uh, is anyone currently online dating? Okay, great. Yeah, uh, don't even, you just make a defeated whimper, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty much, it's hard to cheer for it. But I was on a lot of sites, like I was on um, Match, I was on Tinder, I was on Yelp for a while, like I tried, I tried everything. Um, but honestly, you know, I went on some very mediocre dates, but weirdly enough, the worst date I, I've, I've ever been on was like maybe uh, the year before last, and it was off of Facebook. Has anyone been asked out over like a social media site not specifically intended for dating? Yeah, was it Facebook? Yeah, Did, was it someone that you knew, like knew who asked you out? No? And what did they, what was the message they send you if you don't mind send, uh, sharing? Oh, well that, that's, a, that's a good in. I just good to agree on things like that. I would say it's a good starting point for love. Oh, it's still going though? <laughs> All right, well, it's not going great. Well, it's still going. That sounds promising. Um, I, I, I feel like a lot of people would describe their marriage that way, so I think, I think you're doing okay. Uh, but yeah, no, I got asked out not quite as eloquently as that, but... Um, I, I, someone sent me a message off Facebook and it was someone who had seen me do stand-up at a show and they just sent me a message that was like, hey, I saw you at this show. I thought you were really funny. Let's go out. And normally I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't honor that type of request. You know, like I've seen a true crime show. Like I, I'm, I know how it turns out, but I think I was just in a really vulnerable place. Like I think I just, you know, read a mean internet comment. I was kind of like, who am I? And so I, I was kind of open to anything. And, I, and I, I remember thinking, I was like, yeah, you know, it's like, go on the date. It's like, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, it's like, what is that expression? It's like, Yodo, you know, you only date occasionally. So <laughs> you got to take the opportunities when they present themselves. But I do remember the one thing that was weird about him right away was that his profile picture was just a Santa emoji. It's the right reaction, because uh, it's like right away there's a chance he doesn't have a face, uh, or that his face is in fact a Santa emoji. And you know, it's like, I'm open-minded, but it's going to be a discussion eventually. So <laughs> I had my friend Google him, and she was like, no, he checks out, he has a face, you're good to go. I don't like to Google people for the first date. I'm kind of old-fashioned. I feel like some things you should save for marriage. You know, leave a little mystery. So, you know, we decided to make plans. We decided to meet up. I picked the place. Like, I tried to pick a place where it was like, you know, if I go missing, people would be like, at least she had a good time before she left. Uh, at least four stars. So... We met up at a bar on, I think it was like a Thursday, and, you know, first impressions were great. He was tall, he smelled good, he had a face, triple threat. 
and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't one of those Picasso faces where you're like, oh, I didn't realize this was a riddle. Like, everything was fine. And then, you know, he, he bought us drinks, we sat down and started talking, and then one of the first things he said where it was just like, red flag meter alerted. Like, one of the first things out of his mouth, he was just like, oh, something you should know about me, I'm really big on honesty, I just like telling it how it is. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, okay, who opens with that as a human? Who, like, right out of the gate is just like, listen, we're going to hear some stuff. <laughs> and it's also like, honesty on a first date? <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> like, I always think of dating, like, health insurance. Like, you wait until you're accepted in as a member before you start revealing all your pre-existing conditions. Like, you wait until year five before you're like, oh, by the way, I, I have diabetes and another family. Happy anniversary! But anyway, I was like, night is young. Let's just see where it goes. Uh, we started talking. We didn't have a lot in common. He was like, I work in finance. I was like, I have no money. Uh, we're hitting some walls. And then maybe midway through the night, there was just like a lull in the conversation. And then just out of nowhere, apropos of nothing, he goes, you know... I'm actually pretty funny. I could be a comedian. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, all right. Wow, you guys reacted with a nice combination of quiet horror <laughs> and mild disgust, and you were not prepped. Uh, first of all, that's that's not how being funny works, you know. Like you don't have to give someone a heads up <laughs> that you're funny. You don't have to be like, oh my, oh my god, I should have told you this earlier. I'm funny. So you've been missing a lot of cues on your end, the faces and the noises. It's also so condescending to be like, oh, you know that thing you do that you probably worked really hard at, made a lot of sacrifices for? I thought about doing it, but uh, <laughs> I'm too good. I'm too good. Like, it's so presumptuous. You wouldn't do that for any other career. You wouldn't be like, oh, check this out, check this out. I've seen the moon a couple times. Uh, pretty sure I'm space material. You know, like, it's a very ludicrous jump to make. But uh, I think, if I remember correctly, at that point, um, a cockroach ran across our table. I know, it was a very sweet New York moment. Uh, <laughs> Really, it should have been foreshadowing. I just didn't pick up on it at that point. Because after that, the date completely derailed. And he basically just turned into an Amazon algorithm where he was just like, you might also not like the next thing I'm going to say. Uh, because, yeah. After that, we completely ran out of everything to talk about. I feel like the date itself stood up and left the room, and we were still sitting there for some reason. It was like a fundraiser at that point. Um, like, I think we discussed the levels of our waters. I was like, oh, you drink more. It shows in your skin. You know, it was over. It was over. It was flatlining. And then, you know, circling back to his original point, he was just like, you know, I should tell you this. I only friended you on Facebook because you're an Indian comedian. He was Indian as well, and I was like, Okay. And he was like, yeah, I just wanted to support an Indian artist. I didn't actually think you were that funny. And I was just like, why are you, why are you 
saying this out loud <laughs> to me. There's so many other people you could say this to. There's an entire internet created for these types of grievances. And, you know, those were the thoughts I had, right? I didn't say anything. I just made the expression of someone whose, like, eyes are bleeding, but there's no blood. I was just like, why? Why do you bring this plague on my people? And then he took a second, and then he was just like, that was a joke. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I immediately reached the level of rage of someone just ripping off two monocles at the same time. Like, I was so mad. It's like taking off wigs I wasn't wearing. Just like, sir, how dare you insult me with my craft in front of my children? It's like pointing at my coat like it didn't make sense anymore. And then he was just like, that was a joke. Do something, react. And I didn't. I just, like, I left my body. I was like a husk at that point. And then he reached across the table and he forced my mouth into a smile. <laughs> he smile violated me. He smileated me. Like, women get mad when they're told to smile on the street, but to forcibly be smiled? Like, my brain ran out of reactions in that moment. It was just like, error, error, situation does not compute, patriarchy overload. Like, I, I don't know, I, I was kind of mad at myself, though, for when he, like, leaned over and touched my face, not having it just melt off and be like, now you're cursed. You failed the test. There never was a date. Uh, but the rest of the evening can best be summed up uh, from a quote from the movie Titanic, which I had to copy down. But uh, you'll see why it fits. Uh, here it is. Afterwards, the 700 people in the boats, that's me, <laughs> had nothing to do but wait. Wait to die. Wait to live. Wait for an absolution that would never come. Uh, so we are celebrating one year. <laughs> just thought it was so nice how we met. No, uh, he's still out there. Good luck, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. You can find more of Aparna on Twitter at Aparnapkin. Our next story comes from Richard Cardillo. Richard is quite a guy. He's a former man of the cloth, educator, advocate, and he's a killer storyteller and a mainstay in the New York City storytelling scene. This is Richard at the Crane Theater in November of 2017. Thank you. Thank you. Um, ever since I was in high school, I always had this strong desire to have kids and be a father. I figured I had to do a better job than my dad did with me. So I just wanted to have that wonderful experience of another being holding me tight and calling me daddy. I was gay. <laughs> I couldn't even think in the 70s of how this could ever happen, and I was so afraid of being gay and not knowing how I could be a father 
It was just an impossibility to me. So I went the other direction completely. And as Mark mentioned, I decided if I can't be a father because I'm, gonna, I'm gay, I better hide the whole thing because I just can't be gay and get married. It was an impossibility. So at the age of 16, I made this profound decision to give my life to Jesus. And I entered a Catholic monastery of teaching monks and took a vow of celibacy forever. Because doesn't every 16-year-old know what they want to do with their penis for the rest of their lives? <laughs> I went in with good faith. I really wanted to be a good monk. Uh, it just wasn't working. I, it lasted 14 years, but I finally petitioned Rome, and I said, you know, I can't do this, and I got a dispensation for my vows, and I left. And within a month, I met a guy, and that was my partner. And in very short order, I found out that Pete wanted to have children, too. So a couple of years into the relationship, we decided to start taking this seriously and do stuff about it. Now, mind you, this was at a time that gay adoption wasn't even permitted in most of the states. Same-sex marriage, decades away. But we were committed. We signed up with adoption agencies. We got a lawyer. We started fostering kids. We did all the parenting classes we could. We even set up an investment account. We decided to set up what we called the Daddy Fund. And in the Daddy Fund, religiously, every week, we would take money out of our paychecks and put it into the Daddy Fund for our future child's education. We wanted this to happen. There was a lot going against us for this ever to happen. Pete had an AIDS diagnosis, and that automatically disqualified him from an awful lot of adoption agencies. On top of that, he was spiraling into deeper and deeper depressions and really suffering from severe mental illness issues. He was cycling in and out of psychiatric institutions. And I would go visit him every night. And when I'd visit him in these hell holes of places, he'd always say the same thing, Richard, whatever you do, don't get rid of the daddy fund. Keep it going. Keep that daddy fund alive. And I figured this was Peter's last-ditch effort to feel like maybe things were going to get better. Things didn't get better. He spiraled even further. And very tragically, in August of 2012, Peter succumbed to AIDS and to mental illness, and he took his life. And when he died, a lot of me died with him. And one of those biggest dreams that died with him was ever becoming a dad. I knew that was gone. About a year after he died, my friends and family were riding me real hard. Richard, you gotta get back to the land of the living. You gotta start dating again. You gotta get online, meet people. I'm a neophyte to all this online stuff. But being a lifelong people pleaser, I figured, what the fuck, let me try it. <laughs> In one fell swoop, I signed up for every gay dating app I could. And in one week, I was on OkCupid. I was on Grindr. I was on Scruff. I was on Tinder. I signed up for Squirt. I Squirt, I know. I signed up for them all, and I wrote profiles. And within one week, lo and behold, I had achieved something that had eluded me in my entire adult life. I became a daddy. <laughs> My inbox was full. Hey, daddy, sup, daddy, into daddy. Hey, daddy, sexy daddy. Spank me, daddy. What's up? Yes, daddy. 
<laughs> I, fi I figured I better take some time off from answering these ads because I had a bone up on, no pun intended, but I had a bone up on this vocabulary. What's a daddy? What's a twink? What's a bear? What's an otter? Top and bottom I knew. Power top, power at the bottom confused me a bit, but I was getting there. One Sunday I'm in my apartment and I hear the all familiar do 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 the tone from my cell phone, my mobile phone with one of the gay dating apps, meaning somebody's on the prowl. And I go over and I read it. Sup, daddy, Ethan here. Wanna meet up? And he was 438 feet away. So I gave him my standard answer. Hi, Ethan. Rich here. I never go by daddy. Want to meet at the coffee shop on Rivington in about 20 minutes? So we met up for a coffee. Nice guy, really handsome. 32, 33 years old. He said he was a performance artist, probably explained it a little bit of his quirky behavior, but true to his age, he never once took his nose out of his cell phone. Finish my coffee, thank him for a nice visit, and I walk home. No sooner am I in my apartment than I hear do-do-do. Hey, Daddy Rich. He obviously didn't pay attention. Hey, Daddy Rich, thanks for a great visit. Want to see you again. You are really sexy. I didn't answer him. I left it. The next night, do-do-do. Hey, Rich, in the hood. Ethan here. Want to hook up? For my homework, I knew that hookup was a whole lot stronger than meetup. So I figured, what the fuck? I'm doing this. I let him know. I said, listen, Ethan, I'm cooking dinner right now. If you want to come up, you can have dinner with me and I could feed you. <laughs> he, actually, he actually asked me if it was a vegan meal. <laughs> Strangely enough, it was. <laughs> So he comes up, we have a great dinner, great conversation, it was going well. At the end of the meal, he takes his shoes off, he goes over to my sofa, he puts his feet up and he reclines down. And I'm thinking, that's the invite, that's it. So I said, hey, Ethan, I give really good foot massages, you want one? He said, yeah. So I go over and I put his feet in my lap and I'm massaging his feet, and a minute and 20 seconds later, and I was timing it, a minute and 20 seconds later, I lean down and I give him a kiss right on his elbow. That's all I could reach was his elbow. He stirs a bit, he opens his eyes a little bit, and he smirks, and all of a sudden, he started sitting up, and he was getting closer to me, and my heart was beating, and I was tingling all over, thinking, he's gonna kiss me. And he puts his mouth right next to my ear and he whispers so gently, that was sweet. Anything further than that, and it's gonna be $400 for the night. <laughs> I fucking jumped up. He goes rolling across my living room floor. I'm like, what the fuck? You didn't tell me? I didn't know. This is bullshit. And then I figured, Richard, take the magnanimous approach. And I said, Ethan, I believe sex work can be dignified, but you gotta be up front. And he looked at me and said, well, I was gonna tell you before dinner, but the food was so good. <laughs> and then I said the stupidest line in the world to him. I said, you know something, Ethan? I don't think this relationship is gonna work out. <laughs> so he put on his shoes and I kicked him out. The next morning I wake up and I made this decision to go into work a little bit later and I went to the bank. And for the first time since Pete died, I withdrew money from my checking account 
and deposited it into the daddy fund in the amount of $400. (laughs) My nieces and nephews can use that money someday. So I'm 59 now. I survived that hot mess of a dating experience from a couple of years ago. I'm back to dating again, age appropriately, but I'm back to dating again. But there's certain things that are changing. I'm wondering how this all fits in in this youth age, especially in the gay community, of how an old gay, somewhat overweight, bearded man can make a go of it in this world. And I'm not quite sure. But there are certain changes in me right now. One of the most amazing right now is that I've really lost any desire to be a daddy in any sense of the word. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You can find Richard on Twitter at Richard Cardillo. Our final story comes from Isaac Oliver. Isaac's debut collection of essays, Intimacy Idiot, is, well, it's just fantastic. He performs regularly at Joe's Pub at the Public Theater, and he's written for The New York Times, W Magazine, Time Out New York, and HBO's High Maintenance. Here he is at our live show at Le Poisson Rouge in September of 2017. Hi. Okay. (laughs) Story of my life. The blinking blue light, I'm deeply intrigued. No? All right. Whew, going great. Uh, so, it's great to be here. Due, due to my own printer mishap and then an A train that just did not want to let me go, uh, I didn't make it to a printer, so I have to read this from my phone, which is my own etiquette mishap. But this is a sort of newish piece, How to Sleep with Someone. In case you've wondered. (laughs) You've done it. You've met someone somewhere, somehow. You cajoled them into bed. You pleasured each other as best you could. And now, together, you've collapsed into a sweaty, breathless heap on your bed. They sit up and reach for their phone. What are you doing, you ask. With a yawn, they reply, setting an alarm. Well, fuck. You knew this might happen. You knew they might stay the night. But still, they're so casual about it. They plan to sleep with you, as if that's not completely invasive, as if it's, I don't know, rather ordinary. You did dry runs to prepare for this. At the behest of a sliding scale therapist, you piled pillows next to you to simulate a hulking neighbor but you couldn't adjust to the presence as much of a catch as the pile of pillows was. Sleep is privileged. Sleep is personal. Sleep is private. It is a time in which you are, I can confidently say, your worst. You sweat buckets. Your mouth goes chalky. Your eyes crust over and your nose fills with soft-serve boogers. Not to mention the staccato night burps and the brassy Jerry Herman farts and the deep legato snores. That person next to you's got a ticket to the Bobby McFerrin concert and it's too late to scalp it. And that's if you fall asleep. 
every night you roll around like a soda in the back of a truck, fizzy and insane. <laughs> you turned 30 and your head filled with questions. Who are you, fucking Play-Doh? Knock it off. You gobble melatonin and valerian root. You guzzle tea and wine. You breathe the way an app taught you. Still, your mind, it races. You race the REM plane down the runway only to get a little air and then touch ground again and again. And once you are airborne, it's only short domestic flights. Nothing international, nothing on which they'd serve a meal, let alone two. Your guest goes to pee and gargle your roommate's mouthwash. They walk back in naked and all smiles. They put an arm around you and zoom up behind you. They mouth breathe on your shoulder and kiss it. Good night, they say. Night, you reply correctively because it won't be good. You lie there, motionless, restricted to one location and position, their arm around you, a merciless warden. Your guest laughs slightly. You run hot, don't you, they say. Your back is like a furnace. <laughs> then get off of it, you reply. <laughs> and they do. Finally, a modicum of freedom, a small footprint in which you can rotate like a rotisserie chicken. Literally, some wiggle room. <laughs> You worry you were too severe, but they seem to have accepted it, and perhaps they even agree. There is a time and a place for physical proximity. You're more than happy to cuddle in the midst of a pleasure exchange, or a crisp hayride, or someone's family heirloom being pronounced worthless on Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> you know, when you're really turned on. But not in bed! is too close, too constant. You want to miss them. You want to long for their touch, not constantly languish under it. <laughs> Glancing over your shoulder at your guest, you watch them settle their head into the pillow, their body into the mattress, and you rage at how your bed has accepted them, submitted so willingly to the foreign. It stings. You roll onto your side. You roll onto your stomach. You roll onto your back and close your eyes. You dismiss all the songs angling to be the one to get stuck. You count your breaths like sheep. You walk your childhood path through the woods behind the vacation cottage. You think about your guest. It feels about as likely to have another person sleeping in your bed as it would a giraffe, or 10 old refrigerators crushed into a cube by the city and dropped there. You stare at your guest like you're E.T. <laughs> what if their sleep, while easily caught, is also subpar? And yet they stayed. Something is gained in the sharing of a bed, you suppose. Someone close by to read with, beg massages of, grab in case of a medical emergency. <laughs> Someone to have a medical emergency. You wonder how you'd hack it in a medical emergency. Whether you'd rise to adequate heroics or crumble into soap flakes. 
the latter, you realize, would truly be you at your worst. You'd hate to see anything befall this person. They're nice. They're funny. And they're younger than you, but still a good kisser. A member of the last generation of good kissers. You know, raised still spinning a few bottles and not just swiping left and right. You zoom up behind them and put an arm around them. You palm the fur on their stomach, which inflates and deflates like a balloon. Their throat gurgles with mucus. <laughs> you mouth breathe on their shoulder and kiss it. They stir, but don't awaken. By the time morning comes and their alarm goes off and they rub their eyes to look at you and open their dry chalk mouth to say to you, good morning, you haven't slept a wink and you've come to miss them terribly. And Jesus Christ, fuck, fuck. What now? Thank you. You can find Isaac on Twitter at Mr. Isaac Oliver. This episode was produced and edited by Mark Pagan, Ben Goldberg, and Rebecca Seidel with live event recording by Tamvir Mansour. Special thanks to Aparna, Richard, Isaac, Horse Trade, Crane Theater, Le Poisson Rouge, and Robin Gelfenbein. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. And the biggest help that we could get right now is if you pause the show and you go and review and rate it. This is how people will discover the show. And whenever I read your reviews, I go, I actually do that sound. Sign up for our newsletter at othermenneedhelp.com and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll have another bonus episode for you in a month. Until next time, adios, ciao, ciao, bye.